Today's cities are larger and more diverse than ever. According to Deloitte's 2019 Smart Cities article, more than half of the world's population now live in urban centres, and this proportion is expected to increase to nearly 70% by 2050. With a huge population comes the benefit of collective data, which can be integrated with technology into infrastructures to develop smarter cities that promote connectivity and inclusive mobility for its citizens. However, what needs to be true to accelerate the development of smart cities in the region? Today, we discuss the key drivers to smart sustainable cities in Southeast Asia. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of our Future Mobility series, bringing you the top voices from the sector. Decision makers, innovators and shapers pushing the envelope on future ideas for transportation and beyond. I'm your host Dishraf and today we're joined by Esther Ann, Chief Sustainability Officer at City Developments Limited and Siddhant Gupta, Head of Future Grid, Electric Mobility, Photovoltaic and Energy Storage at Siemens. Sidan and Asta, thank you for joining us today. Hi, good thank afternoon. Thank Great. you for having me. <laughs> Great. Now, now, Sid, I'd like to start off with you. Siemens is a global powerhouse that operates in 200 countries. Take Singapore, for instance. The organization established a digitalization hub to develop and offer new digital applications for smart cities. As the head of Future Grid at Siemens, how do you think initiatives such as the Digitalization Hub are essential to drive the smart city vision across Southeast Asia? Thanks, Desha, for that question. And uh, I think the Digital Hub uh, for us was a very important step to really establish a digital ecosystem along with our customers and partners to create digital applications. Singapore was an ideal location for this hub because of its distinctively advanced industrial and urban infrastructure development combined with the government's smart nation and future economic programs. The wide-ranging digital services offered by Siemens provide greater efficiency and integrate to enable cities meet the challenges of the 21st century. These initiatives are essential to enhance system efficiency, manage system operations and compliance, and optimize performance and productivity. Thus, a digital hub was established to drive and make the Southeast Asian city a smart nation. A rather interesting example of what the digital hub has driven successfully would be what we have done with, with SAP, the Singapore Aquaculture Technologies, or SAP in short, is a smart floating fish farm. Sounds exciting, yeah? yeah. Uh, they are really a pioneer in utilizing closed containment systems for tropical fish. And I guess one wonders what did we do with them? Basically through visualization of data, installing cameras in the fish tanks to detect skin anomaly and unusual swimming behavior to prevent disease outbreak, the technologies around video analytics, machine learning, help to calculate biomass and hunger levels to optimize feeding. With this, SAP and Siemens are paving the way for scalable, highly flexible, and above all, environmentally efficient aquacultures across the entire value chain. By integrating cutting-edge technologies like artificial intelligence, edge computing, and blockchain, Siemens is helping SAP to continuously optimize their operations. An additional benefit of high-technology farming is food safety and traceability. 
as the fish is cultivated in a controlled environment, free from contamination, there is minimal use of antibiotics and chemicals. This was just one of the examples, and we are driving many more through our digital hub in Singapore. Thanks so much, Sid. And Esther, according to a 2020 Straits Times article, City Developments Limited, also known as CDL, is a leading global real estate company that's been ranked by the Global 100 as one of the world's 100 most sustainable big corporations. So as the Chief Sustainability Officer at CDL, I wanted to hear from you, what are the key drivers behind CDL's achievements and if you can elaborate on some of the initiatives that your organization has introduced to encourage sustainability in smart cities like Singapore. Thank you for the question and for the kind words. Yes, CDL has started our sustainability journey as far back as 1995. And when we established the ethos of conserving as we construct. And at a time that we did not have the crystal ball that sustainability, climate change become the buzzword today. So what we feel is that in the, the building sector has very high environmental impact during the whole life cycle from uh, building to management. And uh, even today, building and construction account for 39% of greenhouse gas emission. So the high impact also empowers us to be able to drive change, to make an impact. And uh, when I joined CDL in 1995, during that era, to tell the truth, construction industry, building industry were not considered as very eco-friendly. And of, of course, and, uh, that was why we actually established our ethos that we have to conserve when we construct and manage our properties. And fast track to today, we are very glad to be ranked really high on the global level on the sustainability best practices. And uh, of course, we set goals and targets, including the latest that we have actually pledged support of our World Green Building Council's net zero commitment by 2030. And uh, our directly managed and controlled properties will aim to achieve net zero by 2030. So how do we achieve ambitious targets and goals? Technology, innovation, solutions are the way forward. So we have always been putting priorities to enable us to design, build, manage our property better, and also communicate with our stakeholders to be on board with us and sales towards this, the global race of net zero. And of course, if you want a couple of examples, like in the early 2000s, we have already embraced like prefabricated technology for bathroom and partition wall. And uh, in 2014, we have the first EC, the Brownstone EC, adopted PBVC, which stands for Prefabricated Prefinished Volumetric Construction Technology. And within that three and a half years, we have actually helped PBVC has helped us save 55,000 men days and raise productivity by 40%. And that actually also improved the environment and the health and the safety performance of our site as well. So simply put, technology is an enabler. Without that, it is very hard for us to make a quantum leap to make our city or building smarter, safer and more sustainable. 
Thanks, Esther. And that's a perfect segue to the next question that I have for you, in fact. According to Deloitte's 2020 Smart Cities of the Future article, we know that smart cities could be the key to addressing environmental sustainability challenges, just like what the both of you just mentioned. So we understand that in support of Singapore's commitment to the Paris Agreement, CDL actually has made a bold move to raise its carbon emission reduction target from 25% to 38% by 2030. And going back to some of the points that you mentioned earlier about technology, innovations. I wanted to hear from you the efforts that CDL has put in place to promote greener and cleaner environments. Could you share some examples of that within your properties? Yeah, uh, in fact, the targets that you just mentioned, this is being raised already because we actually have already uh, set a science-based target, validated carbon reduction targets since 2018 based on two mm. degree warmer scenario and we are in the process of raising the target to align with the 1.5 degree warmer scenario. So you are very right, in order to save the planet towards uh, a, a low carbon future, no single entity can, can do so. And a partnership and engagement is very key. Not just engaging our own internal stakeholder, but also our external stakeholder. As that building sectors really engage a really huge ecosystem and along the whole value chain, we got hold of the a plot of land to engage architect and the designer and engineers to plan for the land and the buildings. And how do we construct in the end the contractors, the main contractors, subcontractor, and also looking at like sustainable building materials to reduce our embodied carbon. All these are getting more and more complex and you need to engage, educate and empower everyone along the value chain with knowledge and with technologies and know-how and that will help to contribute to a sustainable built environment whether you are the users whether you are the designer whether you are just building users and research show that actually people spend about 90 percent indoor so even you are not in the industry you live work entertain and play or even stay in hotel when you're traveling so how users use the building, real estate, definitely have a strong impact on the, uh, the overall environmental performance. So we definitely need to set policies and practices to engage our staff, our builders, our supplier to be going to the same direction without knowing that where is the direction, where should we go, everybody will be at loss. And we also need to achieve buy-in only with knowledge and commitment then we can deliver actions and also create the impact that we want. So if you go to our uh, website, our cdlsustainability.com, you would actually find a whole host of policies, whether it is environmental health safety, climate change policies, procurement policy, green building biodiversity policies, so that we are very clear that all the stakeholder on board knows that that is the target. And of course, our latest also set according to World Green Building Council's net zero carbon building commitment, again, with very clear criteria and uh, where and how we, sh we should go along when we talk about greening our built environment and properties. Yeah. Thanks so much, Esther. Now, I, it, I really love the way you put it. It's about empowering and educating the entire supply chain as well. And Sid, I wanted to come back to some of the points that Esther mentioned earlier. And I think this is very much relevant to, to what Siemens is doing as well. On the topic of sustainability, we understand that Siemens has developed a city performance tool to provide insights 
such as CO2 and air quality improvements for city planners to achieve their environmental targets. So going back to some of the points that Esther mentioned about measuring performance, measuring some of the impact that all of the organizations are working on, and given your global experience in multiple continents, what are some other tools or technologies that Siemens has developed to support sustainable efforts? Maybe before I share about some other tools, I think the idea and the purpose behind is very, very important. So as we see today, globally, cities are shaped by multiple factors, their population, technologies, and their infrastructure. Even today, these forces collide, and urbanization and climate change will spur dramatic changes in the metropolitan areas. Cities need to pave the way for constant evolution. Digital technologies are becoming increasingly important, and urban infrastructures building require a more efficient and sustainable setup. These changing environments create challenges. Developed cities, for instance, need to focus on cutting carbon emissions, improving efficiency in infrastructure and building, simulating a market shift towards cleaner vehicles and more efficient and environmentally friendly public transport. At the same time, the infrastructure quality in many of the advanced economies is deteriorating. Now, on the other side, cities in the emerging markets face issues such as power outages, inadequate public transports and roads, which break on the growth and the development they need. Infrastructures cannot be built fast enough to keep pace with the economic and urban development. In times of constrained budgetary budgets, city leaders carefully need to identify their infrastructure investment, ensuring that they address both the environmental and economic priorities. Technologies need to be adapted to serve local needs to ensure that the right technologies are applied in the right environments, tailored to the specific characteristics of the individual city. Now, to enable the needs of these two different worlds, Siemens developed an interactive and comprehensive tool, the, the one you mentioned, the city performance tool, as it gives guidance to a city on how to achieve their environmental targets while providing an indication on how each decision will influence job creation in, in the infrastructure sector, as well as it evaluates buildings, transports, and energy technologies in a city through more than 70 data points deployed at a desired time period and require implementation level and measures to impact a city's strategic plan and compare these traditional methods with state-of-art technologies. Additionally, it determines the implementation rate needed for any city to meet its future environmental targets, and reports both environmental and economic KPIs across transport, building, and energy sectors. So in addition to this tool, of course, Siemens is also working on multiple other tools, and one of them would be the new web-based application, which reveals the readiness and potential major cities to embrace digitalization, and develops new ways of living, working, and interacting. We call it the Atlas of Digitalization. It focuses on three interconnected themes, mobility, sustainability, and opportunity, and assesses how the fourth industrial revolution has already augmented urban life around the world and the potential impact it could have in the future. Another tool that we have developed to support sustainability is the digital twin. And Esther would be interested in knowing more about it. For example, in the planning phase of a building, the digital twin can be used to detect construction errors before they are implemented or create safe evacuation routes. During operation, it reveals in real time how an office building is being used and which spaces are occupied. This leads to a significant savings for lighting, heating, cooling, and ventilation, which in turn is good for the environment and supports the overall decarbonization of the building sector. So these were a couple of examples beyond the city performance tool, which Siemens has implemented and is also bringing in Southeast Asia. Thanks so much, Sid. Now, I wanted to ask both of you something. 
what needs to be true for the development of smart cities to be accelerated in Southeast Asia? Maybe we'll start with you first, Esther. You mentioned about the smart nation pillars that, that the Singapore government is looking into. But also, most recently, they, they launched the Singapore Green Plan 2030. How does that come into play with what CDL is working on? In fact, well, I've been waiting for the Green Plan to, to take place for my past 25 years now. And finally, it is happening. So uh, I think that actually is not just a, a political agenda or business agenda. That is really good for our future generation, a greener and more sustainable planet. And uh, just now, I can't agree more with it that actually there are technologies and we can apply to raise performance of how we build, how we design. And uh, digital definitely is an enabler. You just quote an example of our uh, one of our latest development, a Bolivar 88. We use the virtual design and construction VTC technology are now using uh, modeling and also simulation, we actually help us to raise productivity by about 40% and uh, reduce heat gain by about 20%. And you very well that Singapore is heating up twice as fast as other cities in the world and we are near the tropics. So heat management you know, is very, very important. How to provide thermal comfort, but not really causing a lot of stress to the utility bills of our users and our home and also for the environment is very, very key for us. And now we also empower like residential home, like whether it is Ember Park or whatever, we actually offer energy efficient air conditioning and lighting system for our home users to monitor and control this even there remotely. And I think technology is definitely the way forward and to enable us to build better, greener and also be, uh, uh, enable our users to be able to improve their life, yeah, quality of life. And COVID has actually raised the uh, radars and uh, concern of like some of the touch point of in the public uh, common area of building. So we actually have engaged with the NUAS, our smart green home lab, and we came up with some technology that has actually helped to protect and uh, uh, desensitize the, the lift buttons and all that. And you can, when you go to Republic Plaza, you won't be surprised to, you know, bump into a little robot that going around to test IAQ, the indoor air quality, and also as desanitizing the, the space. So now we are looking at technology, how to improve the life of people and also results. And not to take away job from, from people, but really deploy technologies to do the job that, you know, to help humans to do uh, better, to deliver better results. And uh, we can use our manpower, put them to better use. So R&D is definitely the way forward for us. And we have already have the Smart Green Home Lab and the Tropical Technology Lab set up with NUS since 2016. And we even have like investment in uh, incubator and for SDG at our Repairic Plaza, which is a rent-free co-office space for innovation startups to look at how they can come up with businesses that can also, you know, contribute to sustainable development. So there is actually a lot, a lot of opportunities, not just in Singapore. ASEAN is always providing a very, very good opportunity just to share with you some data which we are all fa very familiar with. And ASEAN is set to become the fourth largest economic bloc very soon. And it has a you know, population of like more than 650 million people. And one thing very important is almost half of the population are below the age of 35. And whether they are users or innovator, technology savvy younger generation will be the key driving force. And while a lot of cities are suffering from aging populations, 
I think ASEAN is definitely offering huge potential for growth and for development, whether it is from providing technology or using technology. So SDG, the UN SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, uh, estimated that if businesses and invest, uh, investors can maximize the, you know, the investment opportunity in the developing nations, there is a potential of 12 trillion US dollar to be tapped annually. Thanks so much, Esther. Now, some of the points that you brought up are really interesting and I want to come back to them. But before that, let's go to Sid. And Sid, I just want to understand as well, from the perspective of how what needs to be true for the development of smart cities to be accelerated. And we talked about the Singapore Green Plan. Esther also brought up the Smart Nation Pillars. How is Siemens involved in this? And can you share some examples as well? So I think Esther touched upon the, the building side of the Green Plan 2030, so uh, I, I can only concur with everything that she said. But also another element around the pillar of that Green Plan 2030 was to decarbonize transport. And the enablement of that would be also not just purely by incentivizing electric vehicle adoption, but also creating the right infrastructure to enable that adoption and for for. for to enable that, the plan includes 60,000 charge points across Singapore by 2030. Now, that's already a multifold increase from the previous plan, so it's always very heartening to see that. But in addition to that, they also announced that there will be eight EV-ready towns by 2025. We would most likely seize diesel, electric, uh, diesel cars and taxi registrations from 2025. And already we are seeing in terms of buses, they are moving towards electric as well. So... I'll touch upon the very critical part there, which is the infrastructure. And that that's where Siemens comes in to play a role in providing the right infrastructure so that this transition can be enabled. When we have a vision of electric vehicle, one of the biggest concerns that people always talk about is the range anxiety. And I think for that to go away, what we need to do is make sure that every single place it has a car park which can which has an electric charger to it. Now that the charging can be different. Yeah? If, you, if you look at the behavioral aspect of today's vehicle owners, they would like to go to a gas station, two minutes, charge their vehicle and move out. Now that changes significantly when we move to an electric car where most of the times when your cars are parked in an office or in a residential area, they're not really doing anything there, so they could be really charged. So making sure that the right charging technology is deployed there, because what you don't need there is a very fast charging and unnecessary grid load, but there you could have a slow AC charging to enable that transition that for whenever your cars are parked for five, six, seven hours, those are getting charged at a slow rate. At the same time, they may be not maybe in Singapore, but if you're making a trip to KL, you would want to have charging infrastructure on the way, and there you do, definitely don't want to wait for five or six hours. So there's also a need uh, for these fast charging hubs that could really charge a complete vehicle in a matter of minutes. And that's the second side of it. So that's where Siemens comes in with our complete technology portfolio to enable the transition and to provide the right uh, charging infrastructure for the right use. Now, the other side of it to complete the story is the decarbonization. Electric mobility definitely is the right step, but unless we also have a greener input and a greener generation of electricity, we would not be able to make transport completely green. So therefore, I think, as Esther also mentioned, across ASEAN, there's a huge move to at least have quarter of our energy input coming from green sources. Just one example to highlight, and which is a great success story, is, is probably Vietnam, which in the last one year itself has had more than 2,000% growth, which sounds unreal, on solar rooftops. 
and as well as utility scale, uh, scale um, solar installations to reach a 16 gigawatt peak. Now, those are uh, very strong indications that we're moving in the right direction, both in Singapore, closer to home, but also across ASEAN, where we are really looking at the complete value chain of energy, decarbonizing our energy resources, but also making sure that the end users, whether they are buildings, vehicles, or any other usage, is also going greener, is decarbonizing. So that's where we are involved as an infrastructure player across the value chain to see, optimize, make systems more efficient, as well as provide greener energy solutions, both at the generation, the grid edge, as well as the um, demand side. Thanks so much, Sid. Now, from our conversation, we've been discussing opportunities, technology, innovation over the past half an hour. Now, we also want to address the challenges as well, right? With, with all of that that we've actually discussed as well, I wanted to ask both of you, what do you think are the challenges faced during implementations that mobility ecosystem players or generally all of the organizations that are in this should consider when developing smart cities in the future? Esther, maybe we'll start off with you. Well, certainly there are always challenges in anything we do. And of course, the most important part is you truly believe in it and you are committed to it. And I think right now we are really in the beginning of this so-called a decade of urgent action. And we are all working towards like a net zero world. And just now what Sid was talking about is like definitely solar uh, power is actually the most conducive in Singapore. It's still, of course, there are also action taken to look at other form of renewable. So for us as a long-time developer and a landlord, what we feel is nothing beat by doing it. So uh, actually to our name now, we have two net zero buildings. One is our sustainability academy, which is at the roof garden of our city square mall, which is actually a, a space that we designed and built with 12 industry partners that will come up with a design that and also we have REC gave us the whole rooftop of a solar panel, 3,200 square feet, not a lot, but it's actually enough to power the whole operations of the academy. And we also partner with Sustainable Energy Association Singapore to build capacity for energy managers in the uh, ASEAN region, not just for Singapore. This is through our you know, connection with uh, ADB. So I think we need to build capacity apart from the passion, apart from commitment, you must have enabler. Knowledge is power. Without knowledge, without technology, you will not be able to achieve a net zero world. So for us as a developer, we have to draw people together, bring people together to build it. And the other net zero uh, building that we have is actually at the uh, Singapore Botanic Garden. And, uh, we call it the CDL Green Gallery. And, uh, again, even the wall is actually using a hempcrete, which is our base type of a concrete, a very suitable for a garden setting. And the whole gallery was formed by six modular system that was put together within 24 hours to really minimize environmental impact, pollution, do any disturbance to the, the garden visitors. So there are a lot of technology solutions. If we have the commitment and the belief and passion and the will to do so, there are solutions. So of course, we also look at, you know, how we can share technology ideas and all that. Actually, Siemens and CDL both are on the corporate advisory board of World Green Building Council. So all these uh, international industry organization, whether it is LGBC or Urban Land Institute or Asia Pacific Real Estate you know, Association, 
all these, uh, even Singapore Green Building Council, all these platforms are very good for industry players to come together to share knowledge, to share challenges and solutions. And of course, we have been tapping onto RE for the longest time. And our Tampines Concourse was actually the first carbon neutral building as far back as 2009. And the Tampines Concourse used the most extensive, even VIPV building integrated PV panel. And right now we are also testing, partnering with the Sustainable Energy Research Institute at our academy, testing the newer generation of VIPV that come with prints and patterns. And hopefully with all this intense R&D, technology will be even more effective and uh, because we don't have much time in order to, to reach low carbon future. Mobility, I would like to just share one more time that is actually we are one of the earliest to actually provide uh, EV chargers and EV lots as well. That was in 2009. So uh, of course today, this is almost like a common practice, but what we would like to you know share is you must believe in it and dare to be the first one to start the ball rolling once you do it there will be people who will come together and follow suits and expand the impact and hopefully everyone will have a greener and a cleaner built environment in the future thanks so much Asta. now sid what about you what do you think are the challenges faced during the implementations that mobility ecosystem players or even city planners should be considering when developing smart cities in the future Sure. So I think uh, if you look at the mobility aspect for, for a second, it's very important to understand that the challenges of different cities, first of all, could be very different. Now, if we come, we think about Singapore, the challenge is not so much that we don't have the energy to supply electric vehicles, but where we do have challenges is at the localized grid level. So uh, just to take an example, as I mentioned that in 2009, there, there was a building already with, with chargers providing EV lots. Now, at that instance, at that building level, there may not be enough power to provide every car park lot with an electric charger. But overall, as a city, Singapore does not have that challenge. So I think to overcome this challenge, we have to think very, very local. How do we solve localized grid challenges? Because not always it is a possibility to upgrade the complete infrastructure. But at the same time, we have to enable this transition. So uh, I think that's where different technologies come together and the complete ecosystem has to play a role where through an integration of renewables, whether that's solar rooftops or an energy storage system at the site enables that transition along with the excess power at the grid to, to make sure that the, the electric charge points can be made available. At the same time, the, the charge points itself have to be smart enough that they can manage the load. As, as I said in, in my previous answer as well, there is not always a need for very fast charging at every single place. So what that really means is that you can have a slow charging and depending on the number of vehicles that are connected, you can manage the load between the different vehicles. And those smart charging solutions, both coupled with the hardware and the software digital solution is where we, we can overcome some of the localized challenges. Taking a different take on this slightly is now, let's say we look at the vehicles, which are the fleets like buses or taxis. Now they have a very different setup today. Uh, for example, a bus fleet operator has so far only been, been working on the operations of the bus fleet and has not really thought or had the challenge of looking at how do I, do I fuel these vehicles because that was an easy ride to the gas station. 
But now if they have to adopt electric buses, that, that's a, any, another dimension that they have to think about is how do I cater for charging at my depots? How do I charge my vehicles on route? And what is the infrastructure that is needed? Some of the role here is played by the operator itself at the depots, enabling the charging at night when probably the buses are not running. But part of that infrastructure comes from the city itself, which during the day operation, you would need a top up of charge to enable that complete operations. If I can share one example here, for one of the bus operators in New Zealand, they wanted to transition into electric uh, buses across two depots in Auckland and Christchurch. Now, when we talked multiple times to this operator, of course, they were very they, they were very well aware of their business model around operations. But what they wanted is to move to a zero emission transport without much changes to their operations. And that's where we come in with, a, with a both hardware and a software solution to make sure that that transition is seamless for the operator, where they can move from a diesel slash petrol vehicle or bus to an electric bus, but that does not impact the, the operations that they're conducting by creating a charging infrastructure that enables that, that can meet their needs. And also at the same time, that can provide them a complete transparency of what it means to make this transition in terms of investment and then making sure that the total cost of ownership comes down. So these are a couple of examples where how, how in Siemens we are trying to solve these challenges of multiple stakeholders uh, on the transition to electric mobility. Right. Thanks so much, Sid. And we've heard about challenges from the both of you itself, but I also want to bring up a topic that's very much relevant today, and that's the COVID-19 pandemic that we're still facing. There has been much discussion around COVID-19 and the impacts that it has on the industry, right? We've seen a lot of accelerations in technology, as well as increased focus on sustainability. So I wanted to ask the both of you, can you share some examples of technologies or innovations that you have witnessed being accelerated? which would have normally taken additional resources and even an extended period of time to be implemented. Maybe we'll start off with you first, Esther. Mm -hmm. Well, 2020 is definitely very memorable, but one thing I would celebrate is actually the acceleration of sustainability because we, we actually joke that it is actually awakening of a sleeping giant. What happened last year, one year is almost like the activities, the intensity of you know, engagement, and also the growth of ESG investing was almost like the funds was like almost triple. So things that happened last year is almost equivalent to what had happened in the previous five years. So things move really, really fast. Why? It's because people now are convinced that the health of our planet is interdependent with the health of people, the businesses, and also the economy, and also our future. So in order to have a, a you know, strong economy, you have to go back to the basic that the, the people has to be healthy, the planet has to be healthy. So last year, we, see, we have seen a lot of, even our tenants, our building users become experts of indoor air quality. <laughs> Actually, when we started to open up and all that, of course, we have done our very best to like just not just follow the safety measure, but also step up on disinfections and, and all sort of things. Tenants need the peace of mind. So they have a lot of questions that, which is very relevant because everyone has to breathe the air, right? You can maybe wear a glove or use tissue paper before you press the lift button, but you can't stop breathing. So IAQ, I would think that it is one concern that is at the top of mind of, of all the building users. So actually what we have done is also step up on very active IAQ monitoring 
And like I said earlier, we have even have a UVC disinfection, robots moving around at our city square mall and Republic Plaza. And uh, that is not for sure, but that really can give peace of mind to our building users, especially tenants who spend like eight hours, 10 hours in the office. And a lot of people are also very concerned about oh, yeah, the lift button, hundreds of people touch it and all that. So it actually has driven us to look at the technology. We have the City Nexus app which actually provide tenants digital ways to book facility, order food and all that. We have actually expanded it to, for them to call Lyft. So the e-call feature was very, very well utilized. That means from your office, you just call the Lyft to your 30th floor and then you want to go to lobby. You don't need to touch anything. The, call, the, the Lyft come open, you enter and then you close and we'll bring you to the floor that you want. So all these are very new area to anticipate the changing needs of our building users. And of course, we are also uh, testing the antimicrobial disposable adhesive film now, a mouthful name, using nanotechnology solutions to decontaminate services of touch points, whether it is the lift button or the escalator railing and all that. So I would say that 2020 was remembered as a year that with a lot of new technology, and uh, that, but the top uh, of mind concern is health and wellness. And uh, therefore, sustainability was actually become a, a key agenda, not just about environmental, but it's also about social and uh, economic uh, sustainability. Thanks, Esther. And Sid, what about you? What kind of new technologies, innovations have you witnessed being accelerated over this period of COVID-19? I think the two words, yeah, sustainability and decarbonization. So, sorry, sustainability and digitalization, yeah. So, I think what Esther mentioned more on the sustainability side, I think what COVID did, and of course, there were multiple challenges, but maybe one of the positives to come out of it, it showed people what clean air could mean. And I think that that really triggered uh, a thought which previously seemed in many parts of the world almost impossible. I have seen some of the pictures before and after. And I think once once humans start really seeing that something is possible and something can be different, I think the questions start coming out, which is how do we make it possible now? So I think from a sustainability point of view, I'm, I'm really positively surprised that the momentum that it has drawn in the times of challenge, when maybe on the economic side, most of us are getting more and more constrained, most of the countries are getting constrained, that the topic of sustainability has become the top priority of a lot of nations. So that's definitely a huge momentum and I think uh, that's that's a very positive one. The second one is, of course, digitalization. And there was a study which said that COVID triggered a decade of digitalization in six months. And some of our management always believes that we, we were really trying very strongly to push digitalization, both internally and externally. But in the last six months, we didn't have to convince the customer on it. And I think that that's where the, the again, a more behavioral side of change, where now every technology, new technology deployment, there's a question around how we can do that digitally. Do we really need someone to be there or can, can this service be provided remotely? And some very concrete examples would be when we were really deploying this charging infrastructure in, in Asia Pacific, and we were trying to get the transfer of knowledge from, from our headquarters uh, in Europe to, to the previous or pre-COVID time would have been very natural for, for an expert to fly down and, and enable or deploy these technologies, at least for the first few projects. And then slowly the, the knowledge transfer happens. But what COVID really forced us is to think is, 
what part of that really needs the, the expert to travel and how much of that can be really done through interactions on, on chats like these, on, on video calls where your site engineer could also have a video call on and can get support remotely. Also, what technologies do we need to implement in our hardware that one could look into what are the challenges or what are, what are the most efficient way of deploying those technologies by sitting anywhere around the world. And I think that's really become the the most standard technology offering now of every piece of hardware that Siemens brings to market. And that's that's one of the ch changes that I saw in the last couple of years. I guess, of course, not to mention the changes that we see now in our workplace, where all of us thought that the complete team needs to come to office and th there needs to be a certain seat allocated to everyone. And now the complete change of mindset on how we utilize our buildings, re real estate, what is the purpose behind it? What do we want to bring out of those assets has become questions that have become the central theme for any corporate. So I think that overall, a lot of changes have happened. And once we are over this COVID, we realize that, yeah, there, there have been some changes in mindset that will remain forever. Yeah, I guess you can always say that there's a lot of opportunities and it's all about looking towards the future as well as what we've always been mentioning throughout this entire podcast itself. So I wanted to hear from the both of you. In one sentence, can you unpack the term smart cities and what it means for each of you? Perhaps we'll start off with you first, Esther. Hmm, wow, it's, it's not easy to unpack it in one sentence. I'll try. Smart cities are where residents can live, work, play and travel safely, efficiently and sustainably uh, with the support of infrastructure and technology that are user-friendly and environmentally friendly. Wow, that's that's really good, Esther. Now, what about you, Sid? Yeah, I think it's always a challenge to unpack it in, in a single line, but I could only agree with Esther. If I have to define it, I think I would say a smart city is one which is having an effective and efficient management of urban areas, improving connectivity, sustainability and livability uh, much of the points that esther also talked about maybe just a couple of lines to, to explain what it really means here i think in the coming years we all know that urban communities will face explosive growth not only in population but also in geographical size and economic output and cities are and will be the backbone for economic growth and prosperity in the future for all nations the goal with smart cities is to help cities evolve and to offer strategies and tools to ensure that they will become social, cultural, and economic hubs. I mean, across all areas of city life, technology and data are used to analyze and optimize, thus enhance outcomes and improve quality of life. As our cities continue to grow, how do we manage environmental impact and urban resilience are questions that often come to our mind. Different dimensions of smart city development have the potential to guide cities in the right direction. Urban infrastructure systems and their effective and reliable operation ensures deliver of energy, mobility, water, sanitation, and information on a daily basis. And during unplanned and unforeseeable extreme conditions, one which we recently experienced through COVID. So the idea behind a smart city is really to find innovative ways of thinking about how to plan, design, build and manage cities under more challenging and evolving conditions. Thanks so much, Sid. That was really well put. Well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. I'd like to thank both our guests, Esther and Sid, for their valuable insights on the development of smart, sustainable cities in Southeast Asia. In the meantime, if you want to comment on this podcast or the topics covered, you can send us an email at cpodcast at Deloitte.com. That's spelled S-E-A podcast at Deloitte.com. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I am Dishraf, and until next time.